morning, everybody. A bunch of brave souls weathered the storm this morning. I really appreciate that. This pastor was talking about being a chef. Eh, I don't know about that. Uh, you haven't had my real cooking, but it is. there's something about teaching the Word of God. I've always said it's like a spiritual buffet, and that my job is to put, put out the food and allow, allow God's people to feast off that food. And I know some of the folks last week said, we're drinking out of a fire hose. That's a good thing. Because my job is to challenge you and to go back and to study Scripture. Search the Scriptures. And so uh, I'm certainly um, mindful of that when I'm, I'm uh, studying the Scriptures. Um, I'm doing my best to try to slow this down a little bit. There's a lot of content to the tabernacle. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really excited about this morning because we're going to start off in Psalm 77, one of my favorite Psalms. Psalm 77. You'll turn there. We're going to study briefly, not carefully, but it's a good place to start because it really talks about the sanctuary here, and um, it's really about a struggling saint. I think you've been saved long enough, you're going to relate to this psalm to some degree, um, hopefully not to the depth that this, this saint was struggling with, but to some degree, I think everybody who's been saved long enough has, has, has faced what we're reading here in Psalm 77. And the answers are found about how to deal with that when you're struggling. In verse 1, Psalm 77, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me in the day of my trouble. I sought the Lord, my sore ran in the night, it ceased not, for my soul refused to be comforted. You can tell this this saint's struggling. I mean, this is an all night, This this is ongoing, they're not getting comforted, um, they're calling out to God. He's, verse 3, I remember God and was troubled. And, you know, you start thinking about whether God's really with you and whether God really cares about you, whether God really loves you. And these thoughts start running through your mind. And you'll see here, uh, it, as he communes with himself, in verse 7, he starts to question God. Verse 7 and verse 8, will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth this promise... He, this is what happens when saints get down and they're hurting. They start to question God. They start to doubt God. And that's exactly what's happening here. And believe it or not, that's the real problem for the saint. Right here in verse 7 and 8 is the answer of his problem. He's questioning God. He's doubting God. You know, it's the old odd. Does God really love me? Is God really listening to me? Does God really care for you? Well, the truth is, Yes to all that, but when we're troubled, we tend to think that way. Every saint has been there. And in verse 9, if God forgotten to be gracious, hath he his anger shut up his tender mercies. And the word selah is for take a pause. Think through this. i got to think what I'm saying. Is this true? And they said, verse 10, this is my infirmity. So very clearly he knew that his doubts And his confidence in the Lord, which was lacking, was his real problem. Then he says, the answers are here, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. I will remember thy wonders of old. Notice what he's doing. He's going back. Remember, he's struggling with his confidence in God, his faith in God. He said, this is my problem. Then he says, here's the solution. As he begins to say, I will remember the years of God's 
right hand. I will remember his works. I will remember the wonders. Then he says in verse 12, I will meditate also of thy work. And then what does he do? He talks about it. So the solution to many of our problems when we're down in the dumps is to start remembering what God's done for your life. you got to start dwelling on it. People start dwelling on the problem, and they just spiral. And it just is a never-ending spiral. Instead, they should, be, they should be focused and remembering what God has done for them and what God can do. That's what this saint started to do. Then he says, I'll meditate. It's one thing to remember. It's another thing to meditate. I can remember something, but it quickly leaves. If you don't give time for to digest it, think about it, and meditate upon it. Our lives are about meditating on what God's done. Remembering, meditating, but then you notice, talk about it. So I'm going to remember it, I'm going to meditate, then I'm going to go talk about it. And when I do that, I'm going to find myself no longer struggling like I was before. And then, here's what's the, I think, the clincher to this whole psalm here. Verse 13. Thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. The whole study, we're now entering into the holy place, also known as the sanctuary. It's the place where the saint of God gets with God to know God. And in the case of this saint who was struggling, he did the right thing. He turned from his doubts and he turned to God. And spending time with God, to walk with God, to be intimate with God. And in the, in the case of him, he remembered, he meditated, and he talked to God. That is the way of God to get us through any of our problems. But think about every time we face a problem, we look for other alternative solutions. We look for worldly solutions. We look for our own selfish and we forget about what God can do. The real way is in the sanctuary. It's learning to get with God in the quietness of life and listening to God and waiting for God to give you the direction you need. That's why the holy place is so important. Now, I know we're talking about a physical place in the tabernacle, but it represents what every believer is supposed to do is go in and spend time with God. That's where the priest would spend most of their time in in working with God. It's the place where you see the things of God the most from his perspective. Without the holy place, without spending time in the holy place, things are distorted. There's so much noise out there. But when you spend time in the holy place, you begin to see the things of God from his perspective, through his lenses. And it makes a big difference in our life. When we look at the These are some pictures of the tabernacle. The one on the left, far left, top left, is actually the size of the holy place and the most holy place. This is where the priests would spend a lot of their time serving God, but we'll get to that here in a minute. So that's an actual representation of it. On the right-hand side, you see the coverings. There there was uh, ram skins, goat skins, and then there was an outer skin, which you see on the bottom here, which is made of um, badger skins, which is basically gray and blue in nature. You look at that from the, you see the colors there. I wanted to show you the beauty of the colors. But those colors and everything inside, it's just, you see the dark chitum wood? That's what the world sees. That's what the natural man sees. It's unappealing. It's dirty, dusty, it was ugly. There's nothing appealing about it. That's what the natural man sees from his perspective. But when 
that priest enters into that holy place, it's a whole new ball game. The perspective changes. You'll be in awe with the beauty of God and the perfections of God as you enter into that holy place. But from the outside, it's very unpealing. So too many Christians are spending time outside and they don't see, they just see it somewhat unappealing. It's a lot of work to pray. It's a lot of work to meditate. It's a lot of work to go to church. It's a lot of work to serve God. It's unappealing to them until they step into the sanctuary and they begin to see the things of God from his perspective. Then everything changes. Then the things on the outside become very unappealing and the things on the inside become very appealing. That is why the priests spent most of their time in there. And we are all priests of God. So we're to spend our time here entering into the holy place. It's a place where the believers find rest. It's a place where we grow. It's a place where we learn the things of God. It's where we learn to meditate on the things of God. And there when we meditate, we remember and then we talk about it. But it is, it's God's place to give us a time of rest, to get to know Him. Believers that don't spend time with God are missing out on everything God had from The very purpose of the tabernacle was one thing. God communing with His people. The communion with God really takes place here. Before that, we talked about the sacrifice. We talked about your responsibility to stay clean with God. But this is where you enter into the presence of God and you grow with God. He grows you. And, he, and, and it takes time to meditate and to reflect, as we said, the word Selah, pause. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. This is where we learn to know God, not just know about Him, but to know how to walk with Him and be intimate with Him. It's a beautiful thing, but so many Christians are not finding their place in the holy place. Now these things are understood by the spiritual man, the inner man that the Bible talks about, not the natural man. That's why we have to constantly be involved in spiritual things to understand the spiritual things. There's three types of believers in this, in this world. There's a babe in Christ, that's a young believer. Now a young believer as a babe in Christ can be carnal, Oh, with a lot of worldliness, or they can be spiritually. I've seen some young people get saved and get spiritually minded very quick. So that, that starts, that's the first one. Then there's the carnal man. This is the man that walks according to the flesh. They're saved. They know God. They've been birthed into the family of God, but they walk according to the flesh. They don't spend time with God. They haven't learned to spend quality time with God. They don't spend time in the sanctuary thinking about spiritual things. And thus they walk according to this world. Then there's the spiritual man. That's our focus. Those are the three types. The babe, the carnal, the spiritual man is the one who walks in the spirit. Who's learned to crucify the flesh with the affections and lust of the flesh. The desires of the world are less appealing and the things of God are, are, are strong in desire. That ought to be the spiritual man. When you find yourself leaning toward the world is because you're not walking in the spirit. You're walking in the flesh. We have to constantly put on the spiritual man. So, Paul talks about the spiritual man, and the language is there. If you read here in Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18, notice the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, believers, the priests of God, spirit of wisdom 
and revelation in what? The knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everything you study in the tabernacle speaks of Christ. When we enter into the holy place, we see the showbread, and we see the golden candlestick, and we see the golden altar of the incense. All those things are going to speak of Christ. They're all, it's all uh, speaking of his work and his glory and his person. And that's the knowledge of him. That the Bible talks, Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them, you think you have eternal life, but for in them, they speak of me, for they testify of me. He says, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Why? For he, Moses, wrote of me. So everything we study in the tabernacle points to Jesus Christ and his work for us as believers. That's why, where you spend your time, learning about Christ. He gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in, in what? Not in how to live just a good life, but in the knowledge of him. And then he says, the eyes of your understanding. That's not your physical eyes. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what? May know what? The hope, the riches, and the glory of, of God's purpose in your life. So the eyes of your understanding is the spiritual man. This is why we need to spend time in the, the holy place. Remember what I said last week, that if, you're, if you were to spend time outside, everybody's been probably experienced this at one point or another, where they're out in the bright light and they walk into a dark room. I mean, it's not well lit. You're blind as a bat when you walk in that room. You can't see anything. But if you spend enough time in that dark room, or a, let's just say not well lit room, over time, what happens? You start to see, things start to see clearer. You see more and more. The more time you spend in a dark room, the more your eyes begin to adjust, your pupils expand, and all of a sudden you, wow, I can get around. I can do things. That's exactly how God works in our lives. We walk from that bright light into that room that's not so clear to us, but over time, God says, I'll show you things you didn't see before. And you begin to see the beauty of God and the perfections of God, and you'll be in awe of God. And then you draw closer to Him, and your, your, your desiring is the spiritual things and not earthly things. That's the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, illuminated. God's showing you. You get nothing from God unless He shows it to you. It takes God to put light on it before you can understand it. And so when you beg God and you beseech God and you're searching for God, he says, hey, I'll give you something here. And I'll give you something. And that's how you start to mature as a believer. If you ever studied Hebrews chapter 5, um, Hebrews chapter 5 talks about believers have been saved for a long time. And he says, you've become dull of hearing. And he says, there be a time you ought to be teachers of the word of God, and you've become, you're back to the basics. You, you need the rudimentary, the, the first principles of God. He said, this shouldn't be. He said, you ought to be a place of discerning right and wrong and be belonging to meat, not milk. So he is chastising them. He says, let us go on to perfection. Let's grow. Let's mature. God's time, your time in the holy place is your maturation, your maturing process. The more time you spend with God, the greater the maturity level spiritually, not physically, happens. But we can be in danger of losing that, becoming dull of hearing. 
and the spiritual things get quieter and quieter and the things of the world become more attractive in the flesh. The spiritual man is where God wants us. So over time, your eyes will adjust to the light source provided by God. You'll begin to see the things that were hidden from, that are hidden from the world. The world can't see it, but you can see it. You ever try to talk to a friend or a stranger about the things of God? They don't know Christ. They don't know the things of God. Those, those discussions, when you start talking about God, they look at you like a deer caught in headlights. Those things are foreign to them. They, they, they can't, why would you believe that? What, what, what's the interest in that? And yet you're saying to yourself, man, can't you see this? When I first got saved, I wanted to tell everybody. I went home, went to friends, family, and I, I couldn't believe how much rejection I got. Right? You start telling people about the things of God, you're excited. Man, God opened my eyes, illuminated it, and said, man, it's so clear. Can't you see it? And they're like, what are you talking about? That was a nutcase. They lost it. I was just a freak again. I was off on the deep end, extremist, because it's hidden from them. But God began to open my eyes to see things that I couldn't see. And, that, and the more you spend time with God, the more you start to see things that only God can allow you to see. The world cannot. It can be hard to relate sometimes. And Jesus said, to the, said these words, Therefore speak to them in parables, because they seeing see not. Obviously, he's talking about not physical sight, but spiritual sight. You know, the Pharisees could see, but they could not really see. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand, Matthew 13, 13. John 9, 39 says, Jesus said, To judgment I am coming to this world that they which see not might see. That's a contradiction of terms. They which don't see are going to see. Now, he just healed the blind man. What he's saying there is pride will never allow you to see the things of God. It'll be one of the greatest obstacles of seeing the things of God is arrogancy. And sometimes we get, our we get on our train of education somehow is the answer to understanding spiritual things. I'm not knocking education at all. But I'm saying education is not going to be the thing that illuminate the things of God. God doesn't need education in your life. Now, he'll use education, but that's not the gateway to understanding the things of God. A childlike faith and humility and humbleness of mind is what gets you something from God. The way to enter the sanctuary is not this, but it's on your knees. To understand the things of God. I don't see it, God. If you don't understand something, you beg God and he'll give it to you. Ask and you shall receive, the Bible says. What he's saying here, these the arrogancy is keeping them from seeing the things of God. They, they thought their education was the answer to, to everything. They didn't have spiritual eyes. Remember in uh, Acts 4, verse 13, that it said the uh, Pharisees um, perceived that these were on, this was about Peter and James and John, their, their boldness and their confidence in their speech. And he said, aren't these unlearned and ignorant men? They're uneducated fishermen. And he said, but they perceived that they, and they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. He realized, they realized their testimony was somehow they had spent time with Christ and they had power and confidence and boldness in their speech. That, but they're supposed to be uneducated men. But yet they reflect power of God. Again, 
they which see not might see. It's a contradiction, but that's how God works. Again, the only time this is recorded in Scripture of Jesus rejoicing. I'm sure there's been multiple times, but this is the only time recorded in Luke 10, verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid. Who hides it from you? God does. He hid the things from who? The wise and the prudent. But what did he reveal them unto babes? That childlike faith. And God says, I'll give you something. You come into the holy place like a child, believing what I say, I'll give you something. And I'll, you'll begin to see something you didn't see before. And you come back and I'll show you more. And I'll show you more till you see all the perfections and beauties and glory of the glory of God. But that's how we get it. Not because we think we know what we're that what it is, or we use education, not knocking education, but thinking education's the answer. It's not. God will use education in a great way, but not if that education replaces the spiritual piece. John, Luke 10, verse 23, and he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. How long have you been saved? Ask yourself, what do you know about Christ? How much do you know? I mean, if you've been in gospel for any amount of time, you know you've heard a lot of teaching and preaching of Scripture. I mean, I, I think pretty much is declared the whole counsel of God. At least that's been pastor's uh, desire. And I, I think the longer you, you're saved, the more God has given you. you. You're blessed because you see the things that the world has never seen. We talk about this in regards to, uh, I'll tell you about this in a minute, the mysteries. But God hath revealed them, the truths of God, the things that were hidden from the world. He's revealed them unto us. How? By his spirit. The spirit reveals it to the spiritual man. The eyes of the understanding are enlightened. That takes place when you spend time with God. Do we spend the right amount of time with God in our lives? We'll get into that here in a minute. It's going to be a challenge to think about this. But Jesus said, I want to think about all this as believers. You've been saved for some time. Some of you are just starting off and learning and growing. Others have been around for a long time and could teach a lot of these things. But think about what we've been given as believers. Paul, Jesus said, but unto you, in Matthew 13, I think 13, unto you is given uh, the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. Unto you it was given, but to them it is not given. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, Paul talks about the mysteries of God. He said, we've all, that we're stewards of the mysteries of God. And he said, a steward must be found faithful. He's given a responsibility to hold to what God gave him and keep what God gave him, no matter how unpopular and how uncomfortable it is. God said, you're a steward. I gave that to you. Now you've got to be faithful. We're stewards over God's money. We're stewards over God's possessions. We're stewards over God's uh, a body of Christ, the church. We've given, but he's given us mysteries. And think about this mystery. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible calls this a mystery. Christ in you. What a, I mean, just stop and pause for a moment. And think of what that means, that the God of creation, 
who spoke it all lives in me. Now that's a mystery. I can't understand that. I can't even fathom it. Why? Boy, he's got a lot to put up with. But the truth is, the Bible says that's a, that's a mystery. He revealed that to me when I got the new birth. He said, I'm in you now. Now I'm going to help you walk. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm the comforter. Capital C, John 14. He said, I'm going to help you along this way to be the spiritual man, to know me. That's a mystery. And I'm going to be a faithful steward, though I don't understand it. There's another mystery, the mystery of godliness. You know what that is? God was manifest in the flesh. It can't be any clearer in Scripture that it was God who was walking on the earth as a man. But it was the God-man. Do you know how many people have not been faithful to that mystery? That they have rejected it and say, well, that just can't be. How could God be here and be there? And God said, you don't have to figure this out. It's a mystery. That's why it's called a mystery. But I gave it to you, and I want you to be faithful as a steward. And believe it, think about what he's revealed to us. The mysteries were given unto you, but not unto them. Because God hath revealed them unto us, believers, by his spirit. What a blessing. Incredible responsibility, though. So now, we enter into the holy place. And as we enter, if we were to enter in as that east to west movement, if we go in through uh, the, the post and through the, there's some uh, coverings, as we walk in, it's just plated with gold. Everything is, is all gold, all the walls, the ceiling, everything is gold. Now the outside was wood, but inside is all gold. And on the north side, on the right side, was a table of showbread. Now I'm not going to read all the details. I'll have you, if you want to go back and read all this, but I'll summarize for you. It was just, they gave the measurements, the type of, of wood and gold. That was the materials. And then it was, it talked about uh, a crown was around it. It talked about staves where they, you know, we could carry it, lift it up and carry it. And then it, and it talked about two sections of bread, six loaves here, six here. And in between was, was the, uh, in, the uh, utensils that they would use to pour like oil over and cut it and so forth over the bread. So basically, it's just a, a table with bread. Why? Hmm. Because you're going to see as it, you read all these scripture here, Leviticus, Exodus 25, Exodus 23, it, that's the details of the, of the showbread. You'll notice the words perpetual shows up, continual shows up. And here I quoted one verse here, and thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me always. The reason why you see in those terms is because it represents something eternal. God is speaking clearly of himself here as the showbread. Now there'll be more to this, and I'll touch on this next week and the weeks coming, but the showbread is clearly a picture of God. Notice what verse 20, 37 says of Exodus 25. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof. This is the golden candlestick that was on the south side. It was the only light source in the entire holy place. Without it, it would be completely dark. You would never see anything. So that was the light source that God gave. Well, I think that's pretty evident to those believers what that represents. It represents Christ as the true light. 
but it also represents the Holy Spirit, which gives light to each every one of us. And here, notice what it says carefully. They shall light, the candle, shall light the lamps thereof, that they, the candlestick, may give light over against it. In other words, that candlestick is going to give light to the bread. The, the, the Holy Spirit, as, the, as what is represented by that candlestick, gives light to Christ. He's the one who illuminates Christ. He's the one who reveals Christ. He is the very revealer of truth. Without the Holy Spirit, you cannot see truth. You cannot understand truth. You will not be able to grasp that truth, but the Holy Spirit will give light to the bread. Or the light will, give, uh, will reveal the bread. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ. It's a wonderful teaching here about what God is doing. This is why it's all put together the way it was put together. To see the bread, you're going to need to have the light. The table of showbread is clearly a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life. We're going to study this out carefully. It says the priests were to eat the bread when they entered into the holy place. So that bread was not just for show, even though it was called showbread. It was meant to be eaten. This is where it gets really important. Notice what the verse says. And they shall be Aaron's and his sons, and it, excuse me, the bread, shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it, the showbread, in the holy place. For it is most holy unto them of the offerings of the Lord, made by fire, by a perpetual, there it is, that word, like eternal, statuette. So you see here how this relates to give us this day our daily bread. We all know the, the Lord's Prayer as a model. Now I'm sure Jesus, when he spoke of give us this day our daily bread, he, he spoke of the physical element of the physical bread. But I and, and I'm sure of God's provisions. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, the physical, but I'm sure it has a much deeper meaning to that. Give us this our daily bread, referring to the, the bread of Christ, who he is. We need him daily. When God provided the manna for God's people, a type of the word of God, a type of Christ, how often were they to eat of it? Every single day. The bread of life was given to eat daily. They were to eat it. We're all called priests of God. We're given that great responsibility to eat the bread when we enter into the holy place. That's what we're doing. We're feasting off the bread of life when we go into the holy place. That's where we become the spiritual man. Okay. So Jesus was the word who declared himself as the, as the bread of life. In John 6, verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, he that believeth in me shall never thirst. Again, Christ re referencing himself to the bread of life. He said the bread came from, the manna came from heaven. Well, that's a picture of Jesus Christ coming from heaven. In John 6, he calls himself the living bread. He calls himself the bread of life the bread from heaven, and the true bread. Four, four references to himself. If you really carefully study that out, it coincides with what he said in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me but by through the Father. Think about that. I'm the living bread, I'm the bread from heaven, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the true bread. 
way, truth, and life. Jesus Christ is truly the bread of life that we feast on daily. It's interesting how the Holy Spirit brings this forward in, in 1 Corinthians in reference to the body of Christ. The body of Christ is, we just partook of the Lord's Supper last week. The body of Christ is likened unto the bread. Why is that? He says, for many being are one bread. We are one bread because we're one with Christ, who is the bread of life. And we're to feast off the bread of life daily. And we're partakers, the Bible says, of that one bread. He's certainly speaking of the bread in the Old Testament, but also the bread of life, Jesus Christ. So it represents a place of communion where believers fellowship around the bread of life as one body and as one bread. So some things to think about here as we get ready to close. There's a lot more. I'm not going to have time to get to it. But Jesus Christ is for the spiritual life. What bread is for the physical life. Now think about that for a minute. I don't think if you had a steady diet of bread just on Sunday and nothing else in the rest of the week, no other food, no other bread for the rest of the week, how strong would you be? It wouldn't, it wouldn't take long for you by Wednesday, Thursday, you're going to be hangry. Hungry and angry at the same time. You have to have food. At some point, you've got to eat. Well, it's no different. Jesus Christ is for the spiritual life what bread is for the physical life. Without a steady diet around the bread of life, the believer grows weak and sick. You show me a believer that's out of church or inconsistent or doesn't want to do in ministry, doesn't is a, is a Christian who hasn't entered into the holy place feasting off the bread of life. So a worldly diet will never sustain you spiritually. We know things like Fox News, as much as maybe they provide some information that's decent, Fox News will never sustain a believer. There's no, nothing wrong with Fox News. Quite frankly, I don't listen to the news because I just get angry all the time. And a worldly diet is not going to sustain me. What's going to sustain me is a spiritual diet, time with God. And people are spending way too much time on the worldly diets than the spiritual diet. There's no such thing as a spiritual diet. Truth, truth be told, the worldly diet is nothing more than the devil's marketing scam. Diets don't work, period. Everybody knows this, but everybody keeps doing it. It's amazing. I grew up on the Atkins diet. It doesn't work. Yes, you lose weight for a short time, and then you, you explode afterwards. I had a friend lose 125 pounds and gain 150. I'm not joking either. The, the, they're not sustainable diets. They're marketing scams that get you to buy into the next best thing, and then they leave you hanging and empty. That's what the worldly diet does. It leaves you without purpose. It leaves you empty and hanging. But God's diet, spiritual diet, the bread of life will never leave you hungry. It will sustain you every day. So believers must learn to feast off the bread of life daily. And last week I mentioned this, we'll close on this, is Mary and Martha. Um, you know, when you read that story in Luke chapter 10, they invited Christ into their house. It's like they received him as a type of salvation into their house, into their hearts. And Martha's over there. She's serving. Now, there's nothing wrong with her serving. But she had a problem in her serving. She was cumbered about much serving. 
She was serving more to take her mind off other things. Whatever those things were, she wasn't focused on the spiritual. She was focused on the physical. And she was doing, we say, it's, oh, that was a noble thing. It was honor. But yeah, but Jesus rebuked her. He said, thou art troubled, Martha, and careful, which is the old English term for full of care, about many things. But Mary hath chosen the good part. Where was Mary the whole time? Mary was sitting at the feet of Christ, feasting off the bread of life. She was learning to sustain herself through the bread of life, while Martha, on the other hand, was just living as if there was no bread. And she was troubled and full of care. And Jesus rebuked her and said, you need to be where Mary is, Martha. You got That's fine, you can serve. But to order to serve, you need to sit at the feet of Christ first to get the strength to do that, not the other way around. Because this is burnout. This is where you learn to grow. And that's where God is teaching us to enter into the holy place to feast off that bread of life, the showbread, for Jesus Christ himself said, I am that bread, the bread of life. With that, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for... The bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that, Lord, we can feast off him. And, Lord, how you have uh, opened our eyes to some great, wonderful truths. Lord, help us to be a spiritual people, a people who enter into the holy place, spend time with you, to meditate, to remember, to reflect, and to talk of all thy things that you have done. Help us, Lord, to lift you up. In this hour of worship, I pray it may be acceptable in thy sight as we ask your Holy Spirit to guide us every aspect of it, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.